And would you believe it, oh my brothers and only friends, there was your faithful narrator being held helpless like a babe in arms and suddenly realizing where he was and why home on the gate had looked so familiar. But I knew I was safe. I knew he would not remember me. For in those carefree days, I and my so-called droogs wore our masks, which were like real horror show disguises. Police. You know, you know, you know what I'm feeling right now. You know what I'm feeling right now, Andrea. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like I'm singing in the rain, <laughs> just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling! I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds. He just keeps going. <laughs> dark up above. The sun's in my I'll just keep going. All right, no, all right. no, 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 no. <laughs> well, welcome back, my droogs, my brothers. It is, it is great to, to vidy, vidy y'all here. And uh, today, based off of obviously what I was just singing, we're going to talk about the 19... 1952 movie, Singing in the Rain, um, which that song was originally sung by Gene Kelly, and it's a fantastic film, and that's what we're here for. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what do you think of Singing in the Rain, Andrea? Honestly, haven't seen it, but I know that for the rain, they used like a milk, a milky thing to make the rain visible on camera better, so they're just drenched in milk, which is... Are you telling me you're unprepared and you didn't watch the movie? Well, apopolologies, Michael. <laughs> All right, so obviously, because people can see the title on episodes and Michael's pranks don't work on our audience, we're covering A Clockwork Orange, which I've been waiting to do for a while because this month we're doing books that inspired us to get into literature more. And I read this for... I think it was to enter the ninth grade. We had to pick a book and everyone else picked it because it was the shortest one, but it just sounded really cool to me. So yeah, A Clockwork Orange. Michael, how you feel about it? Y'all got to read this in high school? Yeah. Or ninth grade? That's interesting. Um, Yeah, this was never on any of my school's reading lists, which is unfortunate. Um, Well, you were more rural south than my district. Rural south. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I first read this when I was 18, though, just on my own. When I was going through a bunch of, when I was going through an extreme film reawakening phase of my life. And uh, originally, I tried to watch the film when I was like, I think, 17. But then like, all the rape stuff early on in the film just sort of turned me off. And then I was like, I'm going to read the book first, and then watch it. And then it was more comfortable to watch the film after reading the book, but still, you know, those rape scenes aren't aren't entirely fun to watch. Oh, so. yeah. Disclaimer, everyone. There will be talk of violence and rape and assault. Mm-hmm. So if you know anything about it, you probably already knew that, but just as a nice little warning. And I guess I'll summarize the story in case you're here and haven't read it or watched it, which, again, <laughs> why are you here? But no, kidding. So... Basically, we've got our main character, Alex, and his droogs, as Michael has brought up, which are his kind of cohorts of mayhem. And they like to go around, steal things, beat people up, 
a nice little instance of rape now and then, you know, very casual things for 14 year olds to do. Well, 14 and 15. So that's nice. They're in a futuristic UK setting and there's a lot of Slavic influence on the language, which is where all of the slang comes from. And when I remember when I first read this, I did not know there was a glossary in the back, but I actually kind of prefer that because you really start to pick up on what the words mean contextually, which I've always mm -hmm. likened it to reading Shakespeare, where it starts off as kind of slow reading because the language is very complex, but then you just kind of get into a comfortable place with it. So if you had that experience reading Clockwork Orange, I promise if you stick with it, it just goes more smoothly. But anyway, so, you know... They're good at truancy, good at violence, and it all comes to a head when they go and rob a cat lady, as she's called. She lives alone, has lots of cats, and the police comes. Alex is set up by his cohorts because he likes to be a... what's the word? <laughs> he's a very... A prick? Uh, he's a prick, um, you know, like and dictator. he likes to hit... He, I mean, he's... A, yeah. <laughs> It's more of like a dictatorship within his gang. His yeah, and he likes to hit them through. in the balls frequently. There's a lot of ball hitting, I noticed, especially in the movie. But yeah, they, they're, not, they're not happy with him. So they kind of attack him and leave him there to get captured by the police. He's in prison for two years. And then he heard, hears about this new technique that lets you be let out early. And he's very interested. And so, you know, he talks to his religious advisor about it because everyone finds religion in prison. He gets picked to do this technique. He's thinking, great, in two weeks I'm a free man. And then he goes through what is called the Ludovico technique, which is a form of, well, it's not conditioning. I guess this is a good time for me to throw in some psych shit. Um, so this gets called classical conditioning a lot. It is not. Classical conditioning is just teaching people association. So, you know, there's the Pavlov dog salivating when they hear the bell. They were taught an association over time that when they hear a bell, they get fed. So their mouths would salivate when the bell rang. This is part of something called, I mean, it's, it's a related concept, but there's something called reinforcement and punishment. And basically what they are, when you want to reinforce someone's behavior, you can do either a positive or negative stimulus. And that doesn't mean a good or bad stimulus. It means you can add a stimulus when someone does a good thing. For example, your kids are not doing chores, so you start to give them a cookie when they do. They have the positive association of, I do chores, I get a cookie. Negative reinforcement would be, you take away something someone might not like. So, you know, you tell them, I'll make you do this one chore less if you clean up your room better. That's a horrible example, but you know what I mean. You take away something someone doesn't like in order to, to reinforce the behavior you want them to exhibit. And then what Alex is going through is called positive punishment, which is you want to take away a behavior, specifically the violence. So what you do is you start to associate a stimulus with the violence. And in this case, it was this medication they gave him to make him sick and nauseous and make him watch films showing violent things, you know, of people getting mugged and beaten up, people getting raped. So he starts to associate feeling nauseous with violence. And it works. He gets out. He can't really defend himself. He comes across his old friends that are now police. And 
they take him on a ride around, they beat him up, he can't protect himself, and he ends up back at this house of a previous family they had attacked, and the writer who lives there, who actually is writing a manuscript called Clockwork Orange, and he wants to use him as a political agent to show what the government's doing is fucked up, it's mind control, and... But then they're playing this Beethoven music that Alex likes that now makes him nauseous because he saw it in the films. I'm doing a horrible job summarizing this. And Alex wants to kill himself, and he jumps out of the window, but he doesn't die. And then a um, kind of high-up government official visits him and says, Hey, be good to us, we'll be good to you. And we'll find you a job, you'll be happy. And then Alex gets out, and he realizes he's... He's cured of his association, and he's back to his old shit, he's found new pals, and then he just says, you know, I'm kind of getting sick of this, and he starts thinking about having a wife and having a child, and that is where the story leaves us. And the movie, it follows it pretty closely, but like we discussed, so the last chapter is the one where he's out, and then he realizes this violent life isn't for him, he feels very old at 18, and Kubrick apparently had not read that version, so... This just, right, the movie because, ends with him in the hospital. Right, because the, Ameri Amer the American uh, version, they omitted that final chapter to leave it on a darker tone, which we can debate whether the omission was is smart or not. So how do you feel about the omission? Well, okay, so it depends on, like... I will say I personally like it without the final chapter. I do like the darker tone. Um, but also I get uh, Burgess's wanting of that, that what I felt like he was trying to say with the final chapter was Alex was going to change no matter what yeah. um, over time. And that the government involvement was what was bad. As I mean, you get that from the film as well and just like not having that chapter at all. But... It's sort of, Alex would have changed in time. He would have grown up. But at the same time, I feel like with a person as violent and rapey as Alex, I don't think he would have changed. So it just felt kind of out of character. Like, the other boys changed because, say, for instance, well, you could, you could argue that Dim didn't really change. He just you know, took that violence and became a police officer. Yeah. Um, and then there was, uh, I think, what was it, Georgie died, and I forget what the other one's name was, but he ended up just getting married, and that, that's what changed him, yeah. was finding a girl and settling down. Don't entirely hate the last chapter. I just, I will say for, for the film, though, I think it works better. That's one thing, like, with books... Books can have epilogues. I feel like movies shouldn't ever do epilogue type stuff because it just drags the story out longer than necessary. Um, the only time I kind of like an epilogue in a movie is sort of, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy where it's like literally the movie just like has like multiple endings because there's we're, we're trying to see everything that happened afterwards a little bit. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, for most films, epilogues don't work. It just sort of drags the story out and longer than it needs to be. So, um, 
I don't entirely hate, like I said, I don't entirely hate the last chapter. I do like the darker tone of omitting it, but as I guess, like, say it's, I'm trying to look at it from, from Burgess's uh, point of view, and, you know, he had something he wanted to say, and so the artist should be allowed to say what they want to say. We may not like it. It doesn't, it may not entirely work, but it is his his piece, so. True. That's sort of my opinion on the final chapter. Yeah, and I, I do have a lot of issues with the movie, but I don't think omitting that chapter is one of them for largely the same reasons. I, It's dangerous to assume people grow out of certain things when really we know there are a lot of indicators, for example, for serial killers of certain traits when they're younger. And it doesn't go away naturally. It's usually with some sort of therapeutic intervention. So to suggest you kind mm -hmm. of just stop being a violent person of your own accord. I mean, you're also saying it's not like every 14, 15-year-old boy is doing this stuff. But also to say they'll just change of their own volition because they get bored. It, it's a quite, that's quite a problematic <laughs> opinion to have. I mean, I understand his greater point is this would be a bad way to control people. I mean, it's actually, I know that's debated of whether if this leads to a better society, is it a good thing to do? And I think like also too, the last chapter really points out Burgess's um, Catholic upbringing. I can't remember, he might've, I think he was a reformed Catholic or a relapsed Catholic or whatever. So I think he left and then he came back to it. And it sort of shows Burgess's idea that I guess he has a little bit of optimism about people and that there's, a, there's hope for everyone and that people can change if they want to change, which is nice. It's nice to have that kind of positivity. I don't fully think everyone can just change. I don't think it's... I think some people just unfortunately stick to their ways and especially violent nature or whatever they're whatever it is that they enjoy doing. I, th I think most people can't break out of things, especially on their own. Yeah, and it's interesting. So things that I really like about the book and the film, I do love this lingo they've built up, and I think a lot of the writing is very creative because of it. They kept a lot of the dialogue the same, or just the way Alex would speak that transferred over yes. to the movie. Uh, I love the one when they're approaching... Billy Boy's gang, um, mm -hmm. and he says, Fat "Come, Billy Boy." <laughs> yeah, yeah he says, "Come and get one in the yarbles if you have any yarbles, you eunuch jelly thou." Like that's just a great line because yarbles are balls, by the way. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's one thing. Like, I love the way Alex speaks because yeah. it's it's slang, but it's really. He has a very Shakespearean and theatrical way about him, and I absolutely love it as someone who likes that sort of like theatrical, uh, that way of to present oneself. I really like it. Um, like that's sort of like how I f I felt like, in a way, <laughs> the the Droogs were basically, uh, you know, in Romeo and Juliet, like the two fighting families and their gangs and it's just sort of like they're kind of if those gangs were just way more violent i will say 
after having reread, well, reread this slash also, uh, I was also re-listening to it, and I highly recommend listening to this as an audiobook because it is Alex speaking to you, and just having like someone reading this to you, it works so well. So if reading like all these all these words that are in NADSAT uh, turns you off, I highly recommend an audiobook because. Uh, it was fantastic, just like hearing someone speak as Alex the entire time. But how do you feel about the costume design with with, with the film for for the Droogs? Because I actually have like a slight like something that like this is just maybe me being nitpicky, but just I'm just curious your thoughts. Well, obviously the whole design of the movie in general is pretty interesting world building that I'm okay with. The costumes are different mm-hmm. from what the book was. My issues of it were. They're not supposed to look necessarily like they're a gang of violent youth, but then in the movie they've got like the eyeballs on the wrist. They're supposed to be completely clean. Like it literally Alex says at one point in the book that you're supposed to be like basically be violent and ready for a fight, but never look like you've been in a fight. Yeah, and he's really bothered even when they're attacking the couple and his wife, he's really bothered that Dim is eating messily. And later when Dim is sweaty, mm-hmm. it annoys him. So he's got like a particular OCD way about things, but I I kind of... Res- that sounds bad. Like I just kind of respect people having certain manners. Right. I really wish... I wish they had uh, had, had gone into that more with Alex's character in the film. Especially since, in a way, I kind of feel like Alex is a little bit like Stanley Kubrick, um, which if anyone knows anything about Stanley Kubrick, he's very particular about everything. And he, um, he everything has to be exactly right. And I believe uh, Malcolm McDowell, the guy who played Alex, he stated that uh, if, if Stanley Kubrick wasn't a director, he should be a U.S. general. <laughs> Yeah, and can I just say, McDowell acted the shit out of this role. Like, he got this creepy look in Alex's eyes, and, like, when he looks kind of silly, like, everything is just so well done with this character. Yeah, he can go from being, like, this, like, very rigid, like, character a little bit to being almost playful with his violence and... He pulled it off so well. And then also, like, his, like, mockery of, like, authority at times. Yeah. Like, when he was uh, being brought to the facility, and he does the little, like, hop step. Yes, I love um, that detail. Yeah, it's just, like, he really played with the character, and uh, he just really understood Alex. And it was, he, I, I, I couldn't, I don't, like, I hope there's never a remake, because really, I don't, I don't want anyone else to ever play Alex it, it was he, he was perfect cast <laughs> for the most part everything was similar to the book which is actually very interesting because most of Stanley Kubrick's adaptions aren't extremely faithful um, like I mean obviously the biggest one that and the biggest complaint um, you'll hear is about like his, what he did with The Shining but like also with his adaption of Dr. Strangelove that one's very different than the book because the book is basically a straightforward drama which instead Stanley Kubrick turned it into a satire yeah so it's more of a comedy 
dark comedy. But yeah, it's like mostly played straight. A few other changes I know. One, they they never attacked the professor in the beginning. Um, yeah, it was the drunk who, only. Yeah, they mixed they mixed the drunk with the professor because it's supposed to be the professor sees him whenever Alex gets out of prison in the facility and him and like a bunch of other, I guess, professors uh, or, or literary people just start beating the shit out of them, <laughs> like old, old literary people, which is hilarious. And, uh, oh yeah, also like he, he volunteers to do the, uh, uh, what's it called? The Luda, Luda the, the, the therapy, Ludovico um, therapy. And and uh, in the movie, which in the book he ends up killing an inmate, and they force him to do it. So <clears throat> there's like li- little changes like that. Well, he um, wanted to. He he beat up the inmate, and then the guy visited the prison, and he spoke out, but he disagreed instead of agreeing with him. But I think they were showing like in the movie it was more of a planned thing to speak out and get noticed, and in the book I think it just happened. But like he wanted it either way. There's things like that. There's uh, the probably one of the best changes is making Alex older and not having him rape ten year old girls. No, no, see, um, no. I'm sorry. That's a bad change because I think it makes him look less a, terrible. But we'll get into that. I think. I mean, let's get into it now. You like well, let's, let's, No, no, let's, no. Let's, let's get into it now. No, Yo, no, no. Ahead. No, no. We we brought it up. Like we might as well talk about. It. Like why? What? Like I want to know uh, why you think that's like. Okay, I mean, just just go right. ahead. I, I want to hear so, your thoughts. For example, the first thing, we have the writer in his home, and they come across that household. And I'm not saying you show certain things, but the way it was shot, you kind of think rape is happening, but you're not even, in, you're not entirely sure. It kind of just shows his face watching her face, and you know they're going to get, you know, they're going to be met with violence, but... It kind of just is like the silly Alex singing, hitting them, and then you go on to the next thing. And later, because he, he meets the writer again, he finds out, you're told by the writer, she was gang raped, and then she died. So I feel like that, it kind of just kept the scene more silly than serious. I do like the singing of singing in the rain bit. I think it fits in with Alex, but the whole scene is kind of lightened because of it. And then when he approaches Billy and the gang, they're also attacking a 10-year-old girl. And I know things are aged up so you can show nudity. I think that's the main reason people were aged up and also because it's easier to cast fully grown actors than younger people to play these roles. But Mm -hmm. it also changes the tone of that scene. As well as the two girls he meets at the record store, in the movie it looks like they just came with him willingly and they had like a sex marathon, but it was two 10-year-old girls he brings back to the apartment and they're not happy when they leave because he's raped them. So I hate that the movie makes him more charismatic and makes his crimes lesser. Yeah, I mean, I, I the thing is, is uh, so I, I, I personally love the singing in the rain part. And the reason why, like, first off, the singing in the rain um, was improvised by Malcolm McDowell. It was not planned. Malcolm McDowell did that. Because when they originally did the did the rape scene, Stanley Kubrick was looking at it and he felt like the scene was very stale yeah. and um, stiff. So they needed that element in order to like I like it because well, technically to the audience, yes, it's it's making it lighter. 
but it's sort of showing that to him, this act of violence and rape is just another, is like his form of playing. And uh, to me, that makes him like even worse. Like is, this is this is just this is this is his enjoyment. This is his his pleasure. His his way that he 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 relaxes and has his leisure time is doing this type of shit. The I will agree that the uh, the sped up scene with the two ladies um, who were supposed to be ten year old girls. I do think uh, I, I I am with you that it does lessen it. I have a theory on why they decided to not make it a rape, though. When Stanley Kubrick cast those two girls, he apparently, from my understanding and what I've read up on, he falling in love with one of them. Like, he really... He was actually getting jealous of Malcolm McDowell <laughs> for being around them. And I think he... With that one girl, and from I personally believe he just didn't want to see her getting raped and by and so he changed the scene to be uh, a consensual thing um, see so. having feelings for people always gets in the way don't have feelings for people you're going to limit your artistic let's all be like Vulcans and not have any any emotional uh, capacity exactly but but it's interesting because apparently that's why Roger Ebert really ra railed on this movie is because they're making you root for a character that is not a good character to root for and make him also seem like a victim to the audience of the government. And, I mean, obviously there's a lot of arguments there about how punitive we are with criminals. I do... I mean, I don't mind showing him as charismatic. A lot of bad people are. Um, Ted Bundy was very charismatic. Mm -hmm. But making the crimes seem more light or just making them non-crimes at all, I think skews it for the audience and makes them not seem so bad. But I think that's the point is to get the audience to join in on the violence in a way. And then really, it's basically in a way to mess with people. I mean, it's sort of like the entire film is shot with a wide-angled lens to give it a more dreamlike state by... Uh, the wide-angle lens helps one more things fit into frame, but and but anything that's like up close is really close to camera. Anything far away just feels very distant. So you can you can see it, you can notice it really well um, in the the lineup scene with Alex being all the way in the front and then the minister like walking up closer. Like they basically like they seem so far away and then they just appear. And funny enough, that was another issue. So I don't agree with everything Roger Ebert says, but his point was that using the wide angle made Alex be so in your face and like the way the angles at which she was shot with like his eyes always big and looking up at you made him seem messianic and he didn't like that it seemed to exalt him as a figure, which I thought was interesting. Um That's an interesting point. Um I don't know. It's because like the, the the difference is one he's narrating the entire time, and I think the yeah. wide angle lens sort of gives us sort of a perception of how Alex sees the world, and True. so the the thing is is he thinks himself as very charismatic. He thinks of himself as uh, this of a womanizer, whatever. Maybe really that that scene of that we saw because it's one, it's just sped up and it's it's very much like a dreamlike sequence. Um, 
because of uh, because of it being sped up, maybe he actually did rape those two girls. But we're seeing it from his point of view, where to him it was consensual. The, you, you can make an argument for that, but it's like like that's how I feel like the movie is 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 worse, and and it's even the book too because it's all first person. It's everything is from his perspective. It's about he feels violated and he feels like he should be able to do these things, but he can't. And, and, uh, and then um, that really, in the end, um, it's really the government's fault that he feels this way and um, that he, he uh, feels terrible for the things that he has done. Um, I, I, I think it was, it was Joe, the guy who moved into his parents' place, that's, that said it bad, best. Was that um, uh, he? 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 I forget the exact words, but basically, he was saying that uh, Alex tortured people, so now he should feel torture himself. Yeah, he said you've made other people suffer, so it's only right that you should suffer too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. Alex doesn't ever. If, if, if we're talking about Alex without the last chapter, he never truly reforms, and he's always blaming someone else, which I think is very much like the type of person who would commit these types of um, acts against another person. So the movie is just trying to show things from Alex's perspective, and we're in his head. We're literally in his head, and... So, in a way, we are also committing these acts of violence as well with him, and um, we're supposed to feel good when he's committing acts of violence, and we're supposed to feel like shit when he feels like shit and can't commit the acts of violence because he's not able because because of the therapy. So, I argue that it was a great way to portray Alex and the and and the whole situation. So. Um, I'm not saying the movie's perfect, it has its faults, but I think for the most part it's really well done and most of Stanley Kubrick's choices are good, in my opinion, so. I mean, you can, you, I mean, you, you're, you're welcome liked, to debate it, like, you're, you're, like, you can say, like. Well, there's a, there was an early critic to Kubrick, I guess she was doing it before it was cool, her name is Pauline Kael, and she had a point of she's not liking in certain media now that they're conditioning us to associate sex and violence, which I thought was curious. Because especially in the U.S., sex is sometimes seen as just something that's more offensive than sex. And the idea of marrying the two in media You mean that is sex is more... more the sex is more... is worse than violence? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. So... And then for some reason, they... People put the two together and that's very palatable I don't know it's curious but that's what she didn't like about Kubrick's version I can see that I mean I also think you're right if since Alex is narrating it he does associate the two Mm -hmm. so that makes sense I mean I didn't dislike the movie because of it I thought certain things were absolutely brilliant like again the casting I wouldn't have any other way I adore the Maloka milk bar, how they had the statues of the women and the milk is literally coming out of their boobs. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. If, if I, I think, I, I could be completely wrong on this, so uh, uh, my, my, my fellow Cellovex, uh, don't, um, 
don't quote me on this, <laughs> but I believe they that was like one of the last scenes that they actually filmed and they didn't really have a lot of money left. So they just like had like these statue props, I believe, and just sort of that's why the lounge looks like that. Um, so like it's basically yeah. it's literally just a black room with like these white statues. Um, and but it that's like one of those things where um, sometimes a lower budget or not having much of a budget left can create really great um, settings or or, or, or or just like any or just great art in general for a movie. So um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I want the Maloko bar to be a real place. I agree. Someone has to have done it. Um, I also love okay the fact that he chose to attack his droogs when they're walking on the waterfront. And he put the classical music behind it. It was just such a cinematic scene mm. of him just, like, whacking George in the balls. Because, again, everyone's getting hit in the balls in this movie. Um, <laughs> Even though they're all wearing And cups. then just, like, the slow motion. I know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I loved that change. And just the idea to back everything with classical music because you're in Alex's head. Yeah. Was it was a good choice. I will say, I thought I misremembered for a second, but I rewatched the movie before, like, parts of it before rereading, so I didn't realize Beethoven's Ninth was so big throughout the book, but it actually wasn't. It was a lot of other classical music, too, but having that recurring, like, a theme yeah. also helps you identify when it happens, and it kind of jars you like Alex because you've heard this song with him so much. But now suddenly it's triggering this nausea, nausea with him. Right, and that's one of those changes um, you have to make when changing a medium yeah. from book to film. In in book, you can you can just talk about all these different things, but in in a movie, you don't really have the you don't. But and but if you did have the opportunity to do it, sometimes it's just too much. Um, same thing like like when they do the the therapy, they only use Beethoven. Um, they don't use other music. Yeah. They, they just strictly use that just to keep it concise and something that's easy to follow for the audience. So. And then Julian. Julian is an excellent comedic addition because, okay, like we said, you have the writer and his wife who are attacked, the wife dies, and now when Alex trudges back up to this house that he doesn't recognize at first because he's be getting beaten up by his previous droogs, now policemen. He stumbles there and is taken in, and the writer's alone in the book, but in the movie, he lives with Julian, who is this thick-ass, fit, big man, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who just kind of picks him up like a doll, and there's this hilarious scene. So I also like the change of, in the book, the writer recognizes it's him because he recognizes his manner of speaking, and that kind of makes sense because, like we said, he's more theatrical than most people. But in the book, they almost made it seem like his vocabulary choices triggered the memory. But a lot of young people talk like that, we've been told. Mm -hmm. So having the fact that Alex is singing, singing in the rain again while he's taking a bath and the writer hears it, I thought was a much better scene. Which is interesting because there's, that, like, like I mentioned earlier, that singing in the rain is improvised. So I wonder whether they were going to originally go with the like the original uh, book form or, or uh, because they did the whole singing in the rain, they're like, well, we're changing it. We like this better, which I agree is a great change. 
It's probably, I don't know, it's probably the latter, where they're just like, you know, we did this anyway, let's change that bit. Um, and then there's this great moment when he has finished bathing and he finds the pasta and the wine waiting mm -hmm. for him. Yeah. And the door rings again for the writer's friends and like Julian goes to get the door and there's a moment where Alex is like, I should just go. And Julian just kind of turns around like, I'm bigger than you. Don't try anything. Like there was just a lot in that moment that didn't need to be said. So yeah, and a lot of just, like the comedic elements work really well. Yeah, and them just sitting at the table and Julian just staring him down <laughs> as... With his arms crossed, <laughs> like his thick ass arms. I know. Oh, it was a, that, was, that was a nice little addition. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's like always like... The, there's, there's plenty of those like smaller things like that, that he changed. One like uh, his parents... Uh, we're reading about Alex leaving the facility as he came through the door, which in the book they didn't know, and they didn't know until later. Um, and then they felt like shit. I also <laughs> really loved, because um, fucking Malcolm McDowell, fantastic, uh, when he's talking to the minister at the end in the hospital and the minister's just feeding him, <laughs> and he just, like, opens his mouth. Yeah. It's, like, just really loving that moment like Alex just like he literally is uh technically in that moment over the minister and is able to use like as as though really the minister is using Alex but in the moment Alex feels like he's using the minister um it was it was nice <laughs> Mhm mm what else so and I actually really like that when his gang attacks him when he leaves the cat lady's house they hit him over the eyes with the milk bottle yeah i thought that was really good imagery to bring back mm -hmm. which uh i really would like some maloko anyone got maloko out there <laughs> whatever this sort of hallucinogenic milk is uh, well they said sometimes it's hallucinogenic and sometimes it gives you energy so I guess you can just crush up some Adderall and some milk and have some of that effect but get Adderall, milk and shrooms or just straight up psilocybin just put it right in there uh, sounds like sounds good to me I'm down also okay so this other change that I enjoyed in the movie The Cat Lady has all this erotic art and then also that giant penis statue mm -hmm, where if mm -hmm. you push down on the head of the penis, it rocks back and forth, which, okay, can I just say, it's an awesome piece of artwork, but also, I wonder if some of that is because you're getting Alex's perspective and he sexualizes everything? Uh, I don't know, like, I mean, because, like, originally he beats her over the head with, uh, what, a statue of, is it Beethoven that he smashes her Yeah. With? Um, which she actually is holding in that scene. And, or was uh, it Bach? It might have been Bach. Um, but she's holding it in that scene. And speaking of which, I got to see that giant penis in real life. So What? Where? Mm -hmm. So if anyone wants to go see that, that most beautiful porcelain uh, penis that rocks <laughs> back and forth, as we all would love to see. And, it, and also, what's fantastic is to go see it, you get to see a bunch more giant penises everywhere. Um, and, and vaginas and boobs and what, what have you, just go on down to Miami and go to the Museum of Erotic Art. It's a fantastic place. It is owned by 
this grandma who, uh, what was it? Her grandson, when he was in college, asked her to find him a erot like uh, an erotic piece as a statement for his dorm, just so that like when people came by, he had something to like talk about with people. So she got him something, and he was like, mm, it's not, like, he's like, it's good, but it's not, you know, erotic enough. And so the rest of her fucking life, she just collected erotic art and just like erotic. I love like, her. Yeah. Yeah. So she had like, I think it was like <laughs> basically like three like um, warehouses full of like erotic art. And uh, the family just decided, hey, we're going to take all of this and use some of it for a museum and it's one of the best things ever. I got this nice uh, this nice uh, it's right here on my desk a a wooden pipe of a it's a penis and then there's a lady riding on top like like she's like like a giant penis and she's like basically like a miniature like lady just like holding on to it like it's a horse. It's fantastic and uh, it's a great pipe to Alright so we're gonna do a novel ideas field trip to this and we're going to stream it for you guys. I am so <laughs> Whenever down. Whenever COVID's over. <laughs> I am so down. I, that was um, one of my favorite places in Miami. So Awesome. Also, I'm going to need a picture of that. All right, so this week for our Instagram post for the episode, we're going to do that. And also in ninth grade when I did this for my over the summer school project, I had to do some sort of visual representation. So I did a sketch of like someone jabbing a needle in someone's brain. Ooh. That's Alex. And like the needle was like society. Anyway, we're going to put those up with this episode. Um, so literally right now, as, as we're talking, I am sending you a picture of it. Amazing. And people listening don't have to wait because we've already done this post by the time you're listening. Look at that time travel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can we talk about Whoever had to do the eye drops for him when his eyes are held open, that must be a pretty chill job. You just have to keep eye dropping someone's eyes so they don't get dry. Well, so that was actually a real um, physician. That was actually a real physician, oh, and he was right. there to literally make sure that Alex's eyes, or uh, Malcolm McDowell's eyes didn't dry up. And during that scene, they accidentally scratched Malcolm McDowell's cornea, and he went temporarily blind. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then um, there's another scene where Malcolm McDowell actually broke some ribs. Which scene was it? I don't think it was the scene where they were fighting. I think it was, I think it was when the old men were like kicking him. I think someone accidentally kicked him too hard and it broke his ribs. Um, Man, he suffered for this movie. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of worth it. Fucking like, like... I mean, he's had a fantastic career since then, so... I really didn't realize who it was because I didn't know the actor's name, but seeing him now older, I was like, oh, shit, that's you? Like, you've had a great career. Like, even if it ended at this movie, you could rest your laurels on this performance because it was so fucking good. Yeah, and I always get him and um, Anthony Hopkins mixed up, like, when I see their faces. Like, for some reason to me, they have very similar faces. They just sort of have, like, those, like, creepy faces but and they're both just fantastic actors so i don't know what it is well if anyone else is having that struggle anthony hopkins gives off a slightly more nefarious vibe but that's just i probably movie association but goddamn that man can act too mm -hmm. 
I would love both of them to to be in a movie together. There's got to be a movie with them. and Rival villains. <laughs> exactly. Like, they're both just horrible, creepy characters just trying to one-up each other. <laughs> Fuck it. I'll write this movie. I'll write this movie right now just to make sure it happens. I'll literally write a movie just so I can have Malcolm McDowell and Anthony Hopkins together. I would see it. Oh, so, okay. This movie and book... Like we've said, it has a lot of, there's a lot of debate, mm-hmm. you know, ethically about whether subjecting people to something like the Ludovico technique and making a better society is, a, you know, a good thing to do. And what I thought was interesting is they had this whole discussion between Alex and the religious guy in church where that man was not happy with it because he believes in free will and he thinks for people to be good, they have to have a choice. I find that interesting and kind of hypocritical because just as seen before, he is threatening inmates with that's, yeah. hellfire mm-hmm. if they don't reform. And that's always been curious to me about religion is, are you also breeding good people if you need to have the threat of eternal damnation hanging over their heads. Are those people being good of their own volition either? But it was a very interesting thing to include, I thought. I think it was just Burgess's sort of... Um, I think that was like that's spot on what Burgess was trying to get at was how the church tries to have a moral... Um, a higher morality, um, but really their morality is, is based around um, what, what you just said, you're, you're threatened with, with torture for the rest of your life. So I, 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 I really like that. And it's, it's also sort of, I think it's somewhat also a different depiction, like the church in the UK versus the church in the United States. Um, I mean, we have fucking churches and, and religious groups that run things like gay conversion camps. So like they're, they're pretty much doing the exact same thing that the government and A Clockwork Orange did uh to gay people so and we need to fucking you know get rid of that shit um i don't understand how it's not banned in the united states but here we are yeah um and you know okay so on a lighter note things that made me really laugh about alex's character is he has a lot of he has a maintained sense of humor even he's talking about guys giving him certain looks in prison and like you see in the movie that guy's like winking and smooching at him and like he's not even horrified he just says that like it's not a surprise that they would want to get after delicious young Chelovek such as myself (laughs) and like the way he describes himself is hilarious and like he talks about his luscious locks um which Malcolm McDowell does have great hair it was really good hair yeah but (laughs) him and that uh the uh, the Joe guy. Joe, that Joe guy also had fantastic hair. Yeah, so purple hair was such a thing in this movie, and that's taken out of the book. Apparently, it's one of the latest fashions like Alex likes to bring up all the time. But I really like... The height of fashion. When they're showing how reformed he is and the guy's beating him up, mm-hmm. um, and they're showing how he doesn't hit back because it makes him nauseous, and then they have the very attractive lady come out with like their like light lavender-like hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That that was a good look. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I I enjoyed that look. Um. Yeah, I bet you did. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna say I'm gonna say it. Look, she had an excellent 
bosom. It just was great. Whoa. It was perfect. That's all I'm going to say. He was the right person to choose for that scene. Because I, I think originally it was supposed it was to right be the person. nurse, right? Um, I think it was supposed to be the nurse that he was, he was oogling the entire time. That he was videoing the entire time. So, Which is smart also because they're showing like he probably had thoughts about her, but now it doesn't matter because he can't do anything with it. Um, but yeah, that was well done. And also I love that in the... That's one thing I do love about the last chapter a lot is it starts off the same as the first. For the first chapter, he, they're, at the, they're at the milk bar and he's talking about all the young Dvochkas, young ladies with their brightly colored wigs. They had, they had a lot of purple. They had a lot of green. Mm-hmm. and the clothes they're wearing are all the latest fashions and now it's years later and the start of the last chapter they're at the maloka again nothing's changed but the fashions are different and everyone's got like these white wigs because apparently that's the latest rage i um, just, i just like that no matter what he was in was the height of fashion the height of prison fashion the height of hospital uh <laughs> gown fashion it was just like just, like that's the thing is like alex is a fun character like he is charismatic mm-hmm. he's just also a fucking piece of shit and yeah like i will defend that this movie yes it might it might glorify violence but that's because the character we're following glorifies violence and and rape and all that stuff so it's not so much that the movie is doing it but the character is doing it and Otherwise, we wouldn't have this this story because you gotta have a like you can't really like I don't know how you would really talk about this type of stuff with without a character like that. So yeah, and I don't have an issue. I don't have an issue with him being charismatic or funny because again, people are tempted to wonder how certain people are lured into a sense of security by people that are predatory. But this is exactly how a lot of people do it. They are funny, they're charismatic, and it shows when he's trying to get into people's houses, he puts on his most gentlemanly voice, he says. And he just knows in certain situations how to talk to people. And when he lures the young women to his place, it's under this pretense of, oh, I have a better stereo than you and we can listen to your music better. Like he, yeah, he knows how to get what he wants. Yeah, no, definitely. So apparently a Clockwork Orange was originally given an X rating in the United States and people like to ban it too. <laughs> yeah, Kubrick had to replace approximately 30 seconds of sexually explicit footage from two scenes um to obtain that R rating. So when it was re-released. Oh, it got re-released. I wonder which version is on Netflix. I wonder if it I'm, I'm assuming it's the R-rated version. I wonder if the X-rating version is out there, but... We'll have to look. Because, you know, I really just want to see more violence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't really know if I have anything else on this besides... Uh, I mean, I, I, I enjoy oh. this book. I enjoy the film. They're both really good. I don't really... Like, I think... I mean, we went into the topic of the last chapter, and I think the movie presents the story in a nearly perfect way. I think it was a it's a a well-done adaption. True. Well, I mean, one other thing I want to say is I like the end scene in the movie of 
he's sitting there listening to classical music and realizing he's not nauseous and there's that epic scene of him having sex with this woman in front of a crowd of people mm-hmm. and he had that goofy ass look on his face thinking about it i and he goes oh yes i was cured all right and i think that was actually a really good ending yeah no i'm i'm with you it's uh which i think that woman was the woman from that he he wasn't able to touch at the facility i think it was the same woman i could be wrong but it was uh oh maybe yeah, and, and and also, like, the scene where, like, when he was reading the Bible and, like, he, he saw himself as the Roman whipping whipping Christ, and then... Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, and then he was just, like, I guess another random Jew and all the different wars that are in the Old Testament of them killing each other. It was... Uh, I, liked, I liked that, that type of stuff. Who knows why they gave Alex a snake, though? Why? I mean, I guess maybe it's they gave him a snake because he likes playing with his dick. Maybe it was like a a, a metaphor. I don't really know. Um, that's the only hey, thing. Well, I, snakes are just awesome too. I mean, they are, but it's like the only thing I could think of is that it's supposed to represent um, Alex's sexuality, um, represent literally his dick, and then after he leaves the facility, the 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 snake is gone. So. He's no, he can't he can't enjoy sex because his snake is gone. His snake's his snake's not there. That's a good point. Yeah, it's like that's literally the only thing I can think of, like why they they made that. Because I mean, I'm, like Kubrick is extremely particular. He like he does symbolism all the time in his films, and like how how Kubrick works is he, like he was originally a photographer. Um, like he he started doing like I think photography when he was seventeen in New York and just basically was doing a bunch of photography and then later in in his later 20s made a i think it was when he was 28 or 29 made a film it's not that good it's like a it's like a war film it's he he makes he he's made very few films that um aren't book adaptions and really like the book adaption ones are his his best stuff but uh yeah so he he sees scenes and films more as photography that that's the reason why he has longer shots um but he likes to have them framed a certain way and the characters at certain angles like one thing that one one that was like one shot that was clearly to me a a photography shot was when alex comes back and he's talking to his parents and he 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 then goes down and sort of like closely gets to his dad he's like there's some guy on the couch and just the way Alex is 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 presented in that scene with his dad and at an angle, it was very it was very composed, a very composed shot that just like held there for I don't know, thirty seconds to a minute. And it it, it shows off um Kubrick's photography, I guess, is where I'm getting at. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. All in all, I'd say good adaptation. Mm-hmm. Right there with you. Things I want from this movie, like I said, I want that dick statue, and I want the the women statues that dispense milk from their boobs. That sounds pretty cool. We could, you know, like, when we go down to the Museum of Erotic Art, I think we have a heist we need to plan. We're not supposed to tell them. 
<laughs> oh, no one knows what we're stealing. <laughs> or you guys can help us. Yeah, they can. Uh, everyone, all our droogs can help us. Help us break in and and cover it up. Yeah, I also want the writer's house and my very own Julian. But <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course you want your own Julian. Wearing tight fitted clothing oh. with those muscles. Yeah. You just want him to, to carry always make you me around feel lesser everywhere? than because his ass is better than mine. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he never says anything, but he doesn't need to. He just squats and squats and lets me watch. No, what? Uh, <laughs> you know, no, it was a good one to cover. I think it's a very important book and it's retained cultural significance over time. So I'm glad we got to do it. Mm-hmm. Me too. I'm also glad we're done with Disney. <laughs> Hey, that was your fault. You know, I needed I needed to talk some shit and tell people classic mythology is quite crazy and garish, but now they know. Um, also, I've been trying to find a Harry Potter connection, and fuck me, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find one for this. Um, except for the fact, you know, the story takes place in the UK, uh, which is... Yeah, and a lot of people really want to cast... Malcolm McDowell is various Harry Potter characters, apparently, but that's all, <laughs> what? That's all I could find. <laughs> what, what, yeah, there's a lot of fan forums where they're like, he'd be a great Grindelwald. He'd be good at this. I don't know. He'd be a great Harry Potter. <laughs> how, old is, how old is Malcolm? He's like, uh, I, would love, I would love, yeah, I want a 77-year-old 70, Malcolm McDowell playing Harry Potter. I am here for it. <laughs> Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's that's. Thanks that's, for joining us on this dystopian journey. When your own future is looking bleak, <laughs> turn to a book. Turn to a book about, you know, authoritarianism and a little bit of fascism and. Uh, and think that at least you don't get sick when you hear classical music and your dick gets touched i don't know that's true that's true next week we're moving away from like a dystopian setting and going to be reading the pearl by john steinbeck which was turned into a let me make sure i got this right real quick so yeah we're switching off this month because um since it was books that inspired us with literature, this was one of my picks, and next week is Michael's. It, the, the, it got two adaptions, I believe, but the adaption we're going to watch is La Perala, um, which was a Mexican-American film directed by Emilio Fernandez in 1947. Um, this might be the oldest film we've watched so far. So I really like this book. It'll be Andrea's first time, so it will, shall be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, <laughs> join us next week with that. Please read it. It's a really short book. Uh, you can easily knock it out in a day. Yeah, read and that like fucking I said, book. It's a really, mm-hmm, read that fucking book, as they say. <laughs> um, everyone stay safe. Join us next time. Thanks for being here. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Bye-bye. What's it going to be, eh? Is it going to be in and out of institutions like this? Though more in than out for most of you. 
Or are you going to attend to the divine word and realize the punishments that await unrepentant sinners in the next world as well as this? A lot of idiots you are selling your birthright for a saucer of cold porridge, the thrill of theft, of violence, the urge to live easy.